The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Some of you may be aware, for the last few years, I have done a little substitute bus driving down at the, uh, for the Edwardsburg schools here. And um, obviously not enough because they've had to cancel a couple days of school because they don't have about enough bus drivers. But I have done some over the last few years. Uh, over that time, I'm getting to the place where it used to be, you know, just the strange man on the bus. And uh, now most of the kids know me. Now the teenagers still deny that they know me. And I, I'm good with that. But the, the elementary kids, they'll get on and, and uh, hey, I know you. And I like to respond by saying I've never seen you before in my life. But uh, but they'll, uh, the one kid actually just last week, he said, he said, yeah, yeah, you're the church guy. And I thought, I told you last week, we had some neighbors at one point who referred to my, life, my wife as the church lady. And so we got the church guy and the church lady. And I thought, you know, I'm not real sure that that's exactly how I always want to be known. For this reason, for a lot of people, church still has this connotation of, I mean, mo studies tell us, you know, that most people aren't really crazy about church. They don't like to go to church. Uh, in some cases, they avoid church and oftentimes have a bad taste in their mouth because of, uh, because of church. Uh, so I know that's not everybody, but for a lot of people, you know, church is still this place where I'm not really welcome. That's for people who either have it all together or at least are acting like they have it all together, and I'm not really welcome. We were uh, having a funeral here one day. And um, the funeral director, I think it was Paul Mayhew, sent me out, and he said, hey, round up the people in the lobby to come in. We're ready to get started. And I noticed one guy was standing outside of the doors out here. So I went out there, and I said, hey, we're getting ready to get started. And he said, oh, I can't come in there. And I said, yeah, yeah, you're, you're welcome. And he said, no, if I walk in there, I'm pretty sure I'll burst into flames. <laughs> so I said, which I kind of wanted to see, but I, I, you know, I, I tried to, and actually he wouldn't come in. I tried to encourage him to come, but, but he still wouldn't come. But some people have that idea that, hey, this isn't really a place where, for one thing, especially anybody who would consider themselves a sinner is welcome. And uh, that goes against how Jesus was. Because those who uh, were considered sinners were those who uh, were actually drawn to Jesus. So we um, have been looking around here at the idea of uh, maybe, I, I don't know if we're redefining the word church, but we want to talk about the idea of being the church that God wants us to be. Not the church maybe that everybody thinks of when they say the church, but being what church is really supposed to be. So that's been our theme for a while. We started that last week, um, and we're going to carry that on for a while where we're more than just going to church or just acting like a church, but we're actually going to be what God intended. And we thought, hey, if we're going to do that, the best place to, to find out what that church ought to look like is in the book of Acts. So we started last week in Acts chapter 1, and, and uh, we read in there about the, the idea that God has, first of all, provided the church a power. He said that, uh, Jesus said, when I, I go away, uh, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to, to, to live in you and empower you for this life now and this walk that you, that you have. I'm not going to leave you alone, but I'm going to send my spirit to live inside of you so that you can now walk through this life. And he also uh, said, I'm going to give you a purpose, and that purpose is I want you to share this message. I want you to share that God so loved the world that he gave his son, and that anyone who believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I have a plan for you to do it, and that plan involves 
uh, a very much a church that is looking outwardly. It is, it, is, it is a church that is going, that is not, you know, okay, us four and no more and here we are, but we want to figure out how we can care and how we can love other people. So we looked at that last week. Uh, this week we'll continue a little bit uh, in the book of Acts. We're going to jump into the uh, book of Acts chapter 2. I've got to warn you two things, uh, a little bit of an unusual story in Acts chapter 2, but also I wanted to tell you that this is not my sermon. I'm totally going to plagiarize today. I'm going to take a sermon from a guy by the name of Peter that is found in Acts chapter 2, and we'll take a look at that. So the good news is you don't have to listen to my sermon, uh, but we'll take a look at, at Peter's on this day. And we're going to go ahead and start uh, in chapter 2, um, where it says, Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And he said this, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. If I could paraphrase that verse, basically he said, May I have your attention, please? <laughs> I'd like you to listen, listen to me. And let's go ahead and read the next couple of verses, then I'll just explain a little bit the setting of how he said this, or why he said this. this. This won't make sense until we go back and explain it. He says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what is uttered through the prophet Joel. As Peter stood up here, here's what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. They had gathered for a feast, for a festival called Pentecost. This was the barley's in and the wheat's coming in, and we got a little break here, and we are going to celebrate. This is something you find throughout the Bible. God instructed his people to work hard, to play hard, and uh, if this makes any sense, to rest hard at different places too. But uh, at this point, it is time to play. We are going to celebrate. We're going to have a feast. So all these people from the areas around have gathered here in Jerusalem, and they're having a celebration. And it is at this point, Jesus has ascended to heaven, and he says, I, he had told people, I'm going away. I'm going to send my spirit. But the Holy Spirit had showed up here at this event. The Bible says with a mighty wind that rushed in, you could hear it. And then the other thing that happened is there were all these people gathered from different areas that spoke different languages. And when the, the apostles stood up to tell them about Jesus, everybody heard it in their own language. And, you know, what, what is going on here? I know this is a fisherman. He does it. He's not multilingual. How does he know my language? And they were confused by the whole thing. And some of them said, these guys have got to be drunk. Now, I never completely understood that because most people that I see get drunk do not immediately begin speaking in another language. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, I'm fluent in Spanish uh, if I drink this. But if I drink this, I know Italian. Uh, it doesn't quite work out like that. So I never completely understood why they thought that. But here's one idea. One of these things that these disciples had that they were talking about Jesus is they had incredible boldness. They were proclaiming the message without fear. And these guys were mostly unlearned men, not very well respected men, people who had not really done this before, and they stood up and they're boldly proclaiming Jesus. Now, I do know that alcohol can make you a little bolder. We, uh, one time, uh, my mother-in-law was visiting in town, yeah, why well, I think of my mother-in-law and alcohol, I don't know. But uh, the uh, but my mother-in-law, my sister-in-law, and my wife, I got to take them out to a play uh, s somewhere in South Bend. And afterwards, we thought, hey, I thought this will be fun. I'm going to take them to an old-fashioned soda bar. There used to be a you know soda counter that you sit at. I thought, hey, this will be good. Uh, it was in kind of a rough area of town, but <laughs> mine's pretty tough. Uh, so I, so I, I went ahead, and, and we took them in there, and we're sitting at the soda bar. Beside there was a bar. 
And uh, as we were sitting down waiting for our ice cream to come, one of the fellows stumbled in a little bit, and he began to flirt with my mother-in-law. And uh, he said, buddy, he said, that's not fair. You got three beautiful women. <laughs> I think I should be able to have one. And he kind of began to cozy up to my mother-in-law, which a gentleman would have come to her defense right away. I eventually did. Uh, but first, I thought it was incredibly funny. Uh, and uh, I had to laugh just a little bit, but eventually I decided it was, it was time to, to come to her defense. But this guy had a newfound boldness there, and it approached like that. Maybe that's exactly what was going on here, uh, that they thought why they were drunk. But, but uh, Peter stands up and he says, hey, wait a minute. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. In fact, what is happening here is something that the, the prophet Joel, now these were all uh, people gathered for this festival, so they're Jewish and they understand the feast and they understand the Old Testament, so they'd say, okay, the prophet Joel, he said, these are some things that Joel told us were going to happen. I want to explain that to you. I want you to understand. And then he goes on in Scripture, and, he, and he, he actually quotes Joel for quite a while. We're not going to read through all of that section today, but one thing before we read a little bit more and read into his actual sermon that I want us to see about what was happening here is this. God meets us where we are. God met them where they were. They were in, uh, like I said, this was not like a church service. This was a serious celebration. Okay, this was a feast. They were having a good time. They weren't coming, and, and history bears this out and the evidence of that. They weren't coming looking for God. They weren't there, hey, let's go there and have some type of a religious experience. But yet God met them where they were, just as he meets us physically, where we are physically, where we are spiritually, where we are emotionally. Um, I was talking to a guy one time, and and. He was going through a hard time, and I kind of suggested that, that, you know, the whole idea of praying together, and he said, hey, wait a minute. He said, I'm not really in a great place to connect with God right now. So he said, I'm not really in a good place. That's not, that's not where I am. That is a very churchy message that he has received because the, the I'm going to say it like that, the churchy message is the idea that you got to get your stuff together, and then you come to God. you got to get yourself cleaned up, and then you come to God. But the true message that I think the true church should have is very much the opposite, is that God comes and he meets us where we are. Sometimes I used to use a phrase that says, just as we are, without one plea. But that is where God comes and he meets us before we get ourselves cleaned up. Uh, so, you know, this, this idea that we have this guy standing outside of church saying, boy, I could never go in there, I'm not welcome. We really want to break that down. And understand that God, what he did is he came down to our level. That's everything really in, in the Bible story and in the Christmas, Christmas story that we celebrate is this idea that God became a man. He came down and he took on human flesh. He came down to where we are to reach into our lives. He doesn't say elevate yourself, be religious as, as possible, uh, do this, this, and this, and come up to my level. He says, I'm coming down to your level. And Jesus came down. So let's, let's continue as Peter uh, goes through his sermon here. He says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Basically, he says, hey, 
your eyewitnesses. You know about this Jesus that lives on this earth. You know the miracles they did, the signs he did. I'm not telling you anything new in, in talking about, about Jesus here. You heard his fame had spread because of the fact that it was obvious that God's power was on in his life, and, and you, you know about him. Okay, a man attested to you by many wonders and signs. And then he says this, this Jesus, now fo follow this, a little bit different terminology, but we want, we want to unpack this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, he was delivered up to these men who crucified him according to the plan of God. This is a really big deal because this is where Peter finally began to put the pieces together. In Peter's life, I'm sorry, back, back before in Peter's story of walking with Jesus, there was a time when Jesus told him, Jesus said, I'm going to die. Okay, people are going to kill me. And Peter said, no, no, not if I'm around, I'll have nothing to do with it. And Jesus had to tell Peter, back off, buddy. He actually said, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, he said, back off, I've come to die. Peter didn't get it. He said, no, you're not going to die, not if I have anything to do about it. In fact, the night that Jesus was praying in the garden before his crucifixion, and the guards came to take Jesus away, Peter was the guy that ran over and drew one of the, the swords from the guards and, and chopped off a guy's ear, probably aiming for his head. He said, this ain't going to happen, Jesus. You aren't going to die, not on my watch. I'm going to defend you. Finally, Peter gets this. He gets the reason why Jesus came. He said, well, Jesus came to teach us a better way. And Jesus taught a better way. But that's not why the Bible says he came. Jesus came to show us how we really ought to live. He most definitely did, but that's not why he came. Jesus came to die. That's why he came. He came to lay down his life as a sacrifice for sin. We'll explain that in just a little bit more here. But it says that was the definite plan of God from the very beginning that Jesus would be delivered up. And then he says this. He says, you crucified and uh, I'm sorry, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. That's what you did to Jesus. So he's talking to these people. Many of them are from out of town. They've come in town for this festival. They knew who Jesus was, but they weren't around when Jesus was crucified, most of them. They weren't the ones yelling, crucify him. They weren't doing that. Uh, so, but yet he tells them this. He says, you crucified Jesus. Now, not only does God meet us where we are, but God loves us enough to tell us the truth about ourselves. And <laughs> I, I don't really mean, mean to hesitate for dramatic effect or anything like that here, but look at, look at the message that Peter tells these folks. He says, you crucified Jesus. And as much as they had been thinking, no, I didn't. I didn't have anything to do with it. I, had, you know, I didn't put the... Romans up to it. I didn't put the Jewish leaders up to it. I didn't have anything to do with it. That just happened. I'm going to stand here today and actually suggest to you the same thing, that I crucified Jesus, and even to say, you crucified Jesus. Really, Pastor? <laughs> I thought you, you, know, you seemed like a pretty nice guy at Upward. Uh, then I show up at your church, and you're telling me I crucified Jesus. I let, let me try to explain, because I think just like they were a little bewildered when Peter said this, well, you might be a little bewildered, too, as to why this pastor would tell us that we are responsible for the death of Jesus. I want to, by the way, not only is it in verse number uh, 24, but it's also over in verse uh, 36, which we'll read in a little bit here. It here. But I want to look at a writing, actually, of the Apostle Paul from the book of Romans, chapter 3, in verse 23. And he says this, For all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. How could we be responsible for the death of Jesus? The answer is really found, <laughs> we need to focus maybe on the second word up there, that little three-letter word, that word all. It says that all have sinned. So if, if we understand this, what God is saying is whether or not you were, you know, the little baby that uh, the first Sunday you were born, mom and dad drag you off to church, and maybe they, somebody put some water on your head, and you were there every day and, and, uh, or every Sunday, and you know, the doors were open pretty much your whole life, and you grew up in church, and everything, uh, that, you know, that the church ever had you were part of, and you still have done that till today, maybe that is you. Well, the Bible says this about you, all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Maybe your story is the exact opposite. Maybe your life has been filled with debauchery. I'm not sure what that means, but it sounds bad, doesn't it? Uh, but all types of things that we think of as, oh, those are the bad sins or, or whatever like that. But what God says is that all of us have sin. Maybe that still isn't sitting well. Um, my, uh, my mom... Uh, used to live down in Texas, and my dad passed away. She came up here for the last year and a half of her life to, to live by us so we could keep an eye on her stuff, and she attended church here. And uh, one day she was in class, and Ben Slocum was teaching, and uh, Ben said, hey, you know what? He said, uh, he said just like the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors back in Jesus' day, he said, you're a sinner just like them. Well, if you know my mom, she really didn't like him saying that. <laughs> now, you kind of have to know my mom. My mom never really met a pastor that she liked, including her son. But um, she, she was here a year and a half. I don't know how many sermons she listened to. There was one Sunday. I'll still remember it. We marked it on the calendar. We were out for lunch, and she said, now that was a good sermon, which was her way of saying the rest of them really weren't. But the, that, that one, was, that one was, was okay. But mom says, no way. You're not going to lump me into that category. But Ben was absolutely right. Uh, in that, you know, he was saying, we all have, and you know, we, if we want to spend our time comparing ourselves to others and saying, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, we're welcome to do that. But that doesn't really get us anywhere because what God has said is that all have sinned. Somewhere in me is this desire to be my own God, to worship the creator, creation more than the creator. Somewhere in, in me is still a rebellion and a selfishness. And you say, well, that's, that's not that bad. That's not that big a deal. That's in everybody. That's exactly what I'm saying. That is in everybody. We all have that. And what God says is because of that, we are short. We fall short of God's standard. Okay, again, comparing yourself to others, you may be the finest person in the room. I know for sure I'm not. You, you can have the title if, if you like. But compared to God's standards, we've all come short of the glory of God. The good news <laughs> um, is really, however, found in the next couple verses. We call the gospel the good news. And the good news is that God doesn't end it there, but he most definitely offers an alternative. And I'm going to go ahead. I read that, that verse from Romans chapter 3. I want to read the two verses that follow. It says, all I've sin and come short of the glory of God and are justified how by the grace as by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God put, for, put forth as a propitiation by his blood we're going to come back to that word that's our big word of the day uh, to receive by faith this was to show God's righteousness because his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins Okay, but it says we, though we all have sin, 
there is justification by grace as a gift from God through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, let me go back to our big word there for today. That's a word you probably have not used a whole lot in your conversations this week. So let me give you a little definition for it. Pacifying wrath by taking care of the penalty for the offense that caused wrath. That's the simple de definition there. But what this alternative is, is the idea that God laid down his life as a sacrifice. He took the penalty that is due for sin. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay that price. So we can be, let me go back for a second, so we can be justified by his grace, which is a gift, because he laid down his life. So yes, God does say that indeed all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he doesn't end there. He says, I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, that through faith in him, I'm giving you a gift. You can be justified. Not that nice big word that we have that simply means being made right with God. So as we go forward from there and just look at this alternative for a second, I want you to realize how incredibly victorious this alternative is. Instead of that falling short of the glory of God, we go this way and we find incredible victory. <laughs> Very simply, this is a verse we already read. Uh, we were reading along, verse number 24 back in Acts chapter 2. God raised him up, losing the pangs, uh, loosing the pangs of death. Listen to this, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's the message I love. It was not possible for Jesus to be held by death. He rose victorious over death. I, um, my very first job I ever had was in a Dairy Queen, but it wasn't a Dairy Queen. It was called a Dairy King. It was a knockoff. And actually, the guy who owned it, this is a true story, the guy who owned his name was King. I'm not making this part up. He owned a funeral parlor, and in the parking lot of the funeral parlor, he decided to open a Dairy Queen. Uh, you can't make that up, can you? Uh, that, I guess it's double use of the freezer. I'm, I'm not sure what he was thinking. He could, I'm sorry. Uh, but I had the first job I ever had, $2 an hour and all you can lick off your fingers. Um, and uh, that, that, was, that was our job there like that. Well, this guy, you know, looking back on it now, I realize he was a creepy guy. But he would come in at night. And uh, we were closing up. And he talked to his little teenage workers there in the Dairy Queen. And he loved telling us stories from the funeral parlor. You know, like, you know, the time the mouth popped open in the middle of the service or something like that. He loved telling those stories and uh, over and over again. And I, I, that, that's all I had ever heard, you know, really about the funeral parlor life. And... Uh, didn't, wasn't really all that attracted to funeral parlor life one, one way or another. In recent years, uh, since I have got to be pastor, um, things have changed on my view. Um, I was counting up uh, actually yesterday to make sure I had the number right. I think seven different times over the last six and a half years I have been in a room where somebody has passed away when they have passed away. <laughs> Death is so ugly. I mean, it really is. I mean, it, it's just, it was never intended to be. The Bible says that sin entered the, into the world and, and, and death, by, uh, death by sin. It, it is a result of sin that was never intended, but, but, uh, and it is, it is such an ugly thing. But to understand that Jesus Christ could not be held by death. He could not, and sometimes we'll sing those words around here, just that he defeated death. Uh, when he walked out of the, uh, of the tomb, he broke the bonds of, de of death, that he defeated that. And to understand that that power, that victory can be ours too, in that we don't have to be a prisoner to death uh, eternally either, because he says because he lives, we too can live through faith in him. 
That's awesome, isn't it? That he said we can have that same life, that same power in us that breaks the bonds of death. It is a victorious alternative. It is also a transforming alternative. I wanted to show you another one of my favorite verses. This is from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. But it says, for our sake, he made him, that's Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. Let me back up. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, the one who knew no sin, to be sin. So that in him, when we place our faith and trust in him, and we are in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So I stood here and I said, okay, mean old guy, old crazy nut, nut job preacher is going to stand up here and say, you, kill, you crucified Jesus and you're all sinners. But I'm going to also say this, I'm not really a sinner. What I mean is Jesus did something here. He came down and he took my sin and he bore that sin in his body. And he, remember that propitiation words, he paid the price for my sin. And I placed my trust and faith in him, and he says that he did that so that I actually might become the righteousness of God. That's awesome, isn't it? That that victory uh, can be ours, that he gives us this alternative. We're going to look at a a few more verses at the end of Peter's sermon, but as we do, I want us to uh, just... realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the message that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son does demand a response in our life. The old Puritans used to say that the same sun that melts the snow also hardens the clay. Hmm? Uh, But the, the idea is this, when the gospel of Jesus Christ is shared with people, we are going to have some response. We are either going to grow harder or we are going to be melted by it. So, as, you know, and that could happen every time that we, that we hear the gospel. You know, which direction we're going to go as far as our response to that uh, is concerned. So, in uh, a few more verses from Acts chapter 2, Peter said this. He said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ. He is Lord and Christ is a great word there, the idea of Savior. God made him Lord and Savior, this Jesus whom, again that phrase, you crucified. And when they heard this, how did they respond? The Bible says that they were cut to the heart. I think that's kind of self-explanatory. You think about that phrase. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what, what do we do? Okay, we need to do something. <laughs> what do we do? So Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, as I was, uh, the reason why I decided to blame this sermon on Peter today is because, to be honest with you, I could see myself, you know, you're walking out of there and say, that guy's a little nutso, <laughs> okay? Now I'm going to talk about this word, repent. They said, what do you, what do, you do? And, and, uh, and Peter said, or what do we do? And Peter said, repent, okay? They said, okay, we, we, we get it. That, you know, Jesus died for our sins. Well, what are we supposed to do about it? And Peter said, repent. And I can see the, you know, the image of this crazy guy standing up here with a repent sign. You know, repent! Uh, you know, me down on the streets of South Bend or Chicago or something like that. Repent! And, and, and uh, looks like, you know, the, the nut job that got loose. But the, the message simply is this. We are to repent, meaning we are to turn. And that means turn from, yes, our sin, 
and believing that somehow I am going to earn my way to heaven, I'm going to put my faith in religion, or I'm going to put my faith in a church, or going to church, or something like that, I'm going to turn from that belief, and I am going to turn instead to faith in Jesus Christ. It is getting to the place, okay, these, these people, after they heard Peter preach, they said, what do we do? Is getting to the place, first of all, where we realize, I've got to do something. Okay? I've got to do something. I need a Savior. And then to look to this Jesus and say, I need a Savior. I trust that you are that Savior. I mean, that's, that's the message that we're really leaning into. Before we, we leave, uh, we like to leave her on a song around here. I just kind of like to go out so the, uh, the, the worship team's going to come back up and get ready uh, for that. But... One of the goals that we have around here, and and, uh, we didn't do it this week. We're skipping over some things, but Pastor James usually will get up, and he'll say one of the things we want to do is we want to help people connect to God. That's kind of ground zero. I want to help people connect to God. And the very beginning of that is really what Peter was preaching about that day because the beginning of us being connected to God is what took place here when Peter said, This Jesus died for you. What you need to do is repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from whatever it is you're trusting in. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Another verse in Scripture says, If we'll confess with our mouths, if we'll just simply say to God, Yes, I need a Savior. I know that I need a Savior. And believe in our heart that God has raised raised them from the dead, we will be saved. And that, you say... Is this, uh, you know, this is kind of a introductory message. Is that because visitors are here? It really isn't. It is because this is the message that is the foundation of the church. This is the first sermon here that said, hey, this is the message we need to proclaim. That God laid down his life. See, we want to, and we want to love people and show them the love of God in as many ways as we possibly can. And, I, and I, I hope moving forward, this idea of being the church is a little banner over here. If you, some of you can see it. Another one in the lobby, you know, the idea of serving. And that means being the church, that means loving people with food and, and loving people with clothing and loving people with just care and doing all those things that's so important. But foundationally to everything that we do is this sermon that Peter preached. And he said, hey, God is our example in this love and in this caring because he so loved the world that he gave. And he gave his son so that even though we have sinned and come short of the glory of God, through him we can have forgiveness of sin. The day that I realized that, that I needed a Savior and that Jesus could be that Savior, my, I was by myself actually at the time, but I very simply said, God, I've, I, I, know I, I know I've sinned. I know I need a Savior. I want to trust in you to be my Savior. <laughs> it's about as simple as, as could be. I want to believe, uh, Jesus, I do believe in you and put my faith in him. I don't know if that's like, oh, boy, that sounds like a, you know, it's too simple a thing to say. But even while you're in your seats now, even while we're singing at the end, at any time really in your life, If that phrase, cut to the heart that we looked at in Scripture, if that describes you, say, hey, yeah, you know what? This makes sense. All God says to do is repent. 
turn to him and trust in him. If you're saying, hey, I'm not real sure about that. I wanted to tell you, I'll hang around up here afterwards. If you have any questions, I would love to answer them. We have some other folks in the church that can help us out with that too. And if you want to talk to somebody or if you want to talk later, contact me through the week or fill out a card or anything like that. But that I wanted you to know what the church is. <laughs> in Acts chapter 2, uh, here's where the church really gets started. And it starts with this message that, that, uh, that Peter preached. Father, as is so often the case, I get to the end of a message and I, I know, Lord, that I didn't, I didn't preach it well enough, even as well as I thought I should have been able to. But then, Lord, I also realize it's not about me and it's not about what I've said. It is about us realizing the truth of your word. And, Lord, I pray that if there's a, if there's a heart here that is feeling that cut business, just that they're knowing that they need a Savior, that you would continue to draw them to you, and Lord, even, even move them to even right now to say, dear Jesus, I need a Savior. God, what I'm asking is, would you do what we cannot accomplish here? Would you work in people's hearts and lives with this message? I pray in your name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.